Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake, the show where we go deep, we get weird, and we search for the meaning of life along the way. Presented by Cast Media and Soul Pancake. Hey there, I'm Rain Wilson. And I'm Reza Aslan. And you know what, Reza? I forgive you. For what? You know what. So, Rain, the topic of uh, today's podcast is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Yeah. yeah. That's a big one. It is a big one. You know, it's something that we talk about all the time. I, I tell my kids all the time that you have to forgive your brother, you know, when he apologizes. Mm-hmm. Um, we're told all the time how important forgiveness is sure. and how we should forgive our enemies. It's the core of so many religious traditions. It's in every faith tradition. I guess my question is, is, is it all just bullshit, though? <laughs> like, is it all? <laughs> like, I mean, really though? Really? I don't know. I look. I I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna lay this out right now. Do you have trouble forgiving? Okay, tell me. I it's I think that I want to be the kind of person who says that I can forgive and that I would you know be able to forgive any slight or or any harm. And yep, you think of yourself as that way. I think most people. Yeah, would think I think of most people as do. But like, if I were, for instance, hosting a, a podcast in which I had to actually be honest about you know my <laughs> my true feelings and yep. thoughts, I would be like, uh, no, no, actually, no, um, no, not really that much of a forgiving person. Don't really. Do you hold resentment? I hold a lot of resentment uh, towards a lot of different people. And also, I don't even see why I would forgive those people. Like, I I get this notion that the benefit is to me. I think a lot of Mm -hmm. people would say that, Mm -hmm. right? That forgiveness uh, is good for you, that there are actual, like, health benefits, right? To, yes. to forgiving people. Well, listen, certainly there's a lot of science to back up forgiveness, okay? So why don't we just start with that? What, what do we got here? Yeah, so there are multiple studies mm-hmm. that have shown that forgiveness is good for you. It's good for your physical health. It's good yep. for your mental health. So uh, can't that be enough? Just the science of forgiveness, Reza? Is it just me or does it also feel really good to hold on to resentment? Like, you know what I mean? Like, is it, is it just uh, the depths of darkness that exists deep within the well of my soul that makes me think that I can sort of feed off my anger and resentment towards people who have wronged me forever? No, this, no? It, 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 just me, people? I, I, <laughs> callers, let's, uh, let's go to the lines. Let's go to the phones. Um, counterpoint is, you know, life is infinitely precious and so short. And any time or energy that one would waste, you know, resenting or feeling hate towards someone for something that they did is, um, it's a waste of time. But I also think that, you know, the better angels of our nature is to forgive as we would want to be forgiven. I mean, to put the golden rule uh, into effect, you know, if if we did something wrong, if we slighted someone or hurt someone, even in some grievous way, we would love to be able to ask for forgiveness and to be forgiven. So we would want to then forgive others. You know, no, I have a, point. you know, I have a personal history with this, with my mother. So. I've written about this in in my book, The Bassoon King, available at stores near you, uh, and talked about it on other podcasts and stuff like that. Like, when I was a kid, when I was two years old, my mom took off and had an affair with uh, some dude and left me and my dad. 
and my dad was heartbroken. I stayed with my dad. He remarried, whatever we went on with our life. I barely saw my mom until I was about 15, maybe three times before uh, two to 15. So this caused a lot of problems for me in my life, uh, a lot of unhappiness. It split the family in a lot of ways. And as I got back in touch with my mom, and she was really good about this. She was, you know, she would call me and started writing me on my birthdays and flying me to see her and coming out to see me. And she she really wanted to take an active role in my, you know, late adolescence and me going to college. She tried to be as supportive as she could when I was going to acting school. She really tried to be back in my life, and she was trying to make a difference. And she would often say, are you angry with me? Can you forgive me? And when I was a young adult, I, I wasn't in touch with anything. I couldn't even really have a conversation about it. But as I got older, I got in touch with um, a lot of my feelings around it and especially the, the, the fallout from it. And it's been a long road to forgiveness with her. I would say that I have fully forgiven her uh, for that. She made a lot of terrible mistakes when she was young. It's totally understandable and you know, the mistakes that she did make and why she made them, considering how she was raised and the trauma of how she was raised. Um, but, you know, we it took a while. We had to work on it. You know, we had to talk it out. I had to write about it. I had to do therapy, my own therapy. We went to therapy together. We did a week-long kind of therapy intensive together to work out some shit. So, so I, But I, it sounds like she really bent over backwards to to make amends of some sort but i she wonder did. if she hadn't yes would yeah. you would you still See, even with her making her. amends and bending over backwards it was still really hard and took yeah. decades near i say so you know you're right you know and would i have been able to forgive her do you feel better like do you feel uh like a different person like i mean are all these studies right where they yeah. say that it it actually makes you I, more healthy i feel lighter um you know, it's not like I went through my whole adult life just resenting her and angry at her, but I definitely feel lighter and I mm. feel more love in my heart. And ultimately, that's what it's about. Like, how can we live our lives with maximum love in our heart? Because this is the thing, Rez. This is the thing. Okay, I'm going to challenge you here. So you've written about spirituality. You've written all kinds of books. You have PhD. You've you've read more than anyone I know about all of these topics. But spirituality doesn't mean shit if it's not put into practice. You know, mm -hmm. it's where the rubber mm -hmm. hits the mm -hmm. road. Like, if you're not, like, doing it, living it, and seeing the benefits of living, you know, in, in a spiritual life, a, a life filled with love and light and forgiveness and, 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 and mercy and being in the moment and in awe at the wonder of the universe— you have to you have to experience that. So I hear you. I hear you a hundred percent. Have I convinced you? But I think maybe this is actually part of my problem is that, you know, because of my sort of evangelical Christian days and the notion that, you know, forgiveness is something that you have to do, like it's uh it's what's expected of you. Jesus told you to do it, so you just gotta do it. Mm. It always made it seem kind of fake to me, okay. right? Like, it's less about the act of forgiving and more about earning points, you know, right. with God. That Brownie like, points for the next deep world. Deep down, deep yeah. down inside, you don't really, really, really mean it. And then also, even back then, when I was told, you know, forgiveness is a, is a, is a commandment, like you mm -hmm. don't have a choice in the matter. Even back then... I remember like the small voice in the back of my head thinking to myself, well, it depends. There are things that uh, th that are unforgivable. Like I don't I don't give a fuck like you know, if Jesus shows up and he's like, "Oh, brother, you got to forgive that." I'd be like, "Excuse me, Lord and Savior, but no. Uh if you I can't even say the words, but there are things that well, I think, think everyone about, has. Think about the, the uh, girls abused by Jeffrey Epstein. I would never tell those girls to forgive Jeffrey Epstein. Never. I mean, I, I if anyone I can't... harmed my my children, yeah, it would be more likely that I would tear them to pieces with my bare hands than I would forgive them. Certainly not because Jesus told me to. You know, look, I. Here's here's the here's the one thing that I have going for me. What is that? There's a neurobiology of forgiveness that basically says that look, there are there are certain people 
who have um, it, it's a small insular cortex, uh, and I guess that's the thing that's associated with uh, feelings of disgust, right? Mm-hmm. So people who have a smaller insular cortex, and so therefore don't feel nearly the same levels of disgust, tend to be more forgiving. Mm. So in other words, it suggests that people who consider themselves forgiving are just not as easily offended <laughs> as people who don't consider themselves forgiving, and I am easily offended. Like, oh, okay. If there's one thing you should know about me is I am easily offended. I can tell from your Twitter feed, <laughs> which has gotten you in a lot of trouble. Exactly. So maybe it's not my fault. Maybe it's just my biology. But I just feel like I want to admit to the audience now. Okay, I want to admit it. I want yep. to like I want it to be out. You want to get the real. World. Yep. I want to mm-hmm. get real here and just sort of tell people that yeah. I'd love to be the kind of person mm-hmm. who says he is capable of forgiving. You're making a Jesus Christ I'm pose a, right now yes, in the podcast room, right. by the way. I'm making a Jesus pose. I'd like to be the kind of person who would say to the world, look at me. I'm someone who can forgive horrible things, but I'm not. You're not there yet. Maybe. Maybe the, maybe our guest today can help me. Our guest today is Reyes Buyan. He's a peace and human rights activist, a speaker, and founder and president of World Without Hate, an organization, a nonprofit, a peace-building organization focused on forgiveness. And he has an amazing personal story, which we got to speak to him about. My name is Reis Bhuyan. I am an American Muslim, a survivor of a violent post-9-11 hate crime, and founder and president of World Without Hate. Reis, it's so great to to talk to you. Um, you and I have met before, and, and obviously I'm very familiar with your story. Rain has been reading about the attack that happened to you, a hate attack uh, by a white supremacist named Mark Stroman uh, a few days after 9-11. But would you mind just kind of for the sake of our audience, just very quickly telling us um, uh, that story. Yeah, talk, I know. talk us through it from the from the very beginning. You were in uh, Bangladeshi military, is that correct? And then moved to the states. Uh, yes, that's correct. I I grew up in a devout Muslim middle class family in Bangladesh, and I went to the Bangladeshi Air Force and stayed there for two and a half years, passed through the vigorous training, and after graduating as a pilot officer from the Bangladeshi Air Force. I did not feel my destiny was there as my American dream kept calling me. And eventually I left my career, my home and my family for New York City. Uh, Growing up watching Wild Wild West movies, I could not resist the invitation to visit Dallas, Texas. Excited to see the ranches, cowboys and bars with their famous swinging doors, (laughs) though I never did find one. I imagine you would be a very, very handsome cowboy, though. Like, I, I want to see you in a 10-gallon hat and spurs, just like jingle jangling into a saloon. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I bought cowboy hat and uh, boots and buckles, uh, the way the Texans, you know, uh, pronounce boots and buckles. I bought all those. And I also have pictures uh, wearing cowboy hat before uh, my Life changed in a, in, a, in a very dramatic way. So I was very happy moving to Dallas in May 2001 and uh, working in a friend's convenience store by day and studying computer science by night. And then 9-11 happened. Um, I remember it was uh, Tuesday. It was my day off. I woke up in the morning, turned on the TV, and I couldn't believe what I saw. I thought it was a movie trailer. Um, a movie was being was made about Twin mm. Tower, and uh, but then when I saw the next building got hit, and all the news media channel went crazy talking about these nine eleven terrorist attacks, it did not take long to realize my life in America would never be the same. The talking started that a group of misguided Muslims was behind this terrorist attack, and I was afraid. But then my friend and uh, people I knew they told me not to worry about because I had nothing to do with 9-11. And I'm in Dallas, far away from New York City. So I should be fine. But I was facing some angry customers um, coming to the gas station and uh, try to have a 
hot argument with me, but I did not engage myself with that kind of conversation because I understood their frustration, their anger, and they had the right to be angry. And I was angry as well, but I didn't find anyone to express my anger because I was an immigrant. I was not an American citizen. So who do I show my, my anger? So I was digesting my anger and their anger as well. It's the holiday season and uh, I needed to give my stepmother a gift. Stepmother's very hard to shop for. You know what I gave her? I gave her StoryWorth. It's this really beautiful online service that helps you and your loved ones preserve all the precious memories and stories that you've had for years to come. It's a thoughtful, meaningful gift, and it connects you to those who matter most. So this is how it works, Rain. Every week, StoryWorth emails your relative or friend or whoever you're sending it to some thought-provoking question of your choice— You get this vast pool of possible options and you pick the one that you want. And then each of these unique prompts asks a question that you yourself have never bothered to ask or thought about asking, like, what's the bravest thing you've ever done in your life? Or if you could see into the future, what would you want to find out? And then after a year, StoryWorth will compile all of your loved one's stories, including photos, into this beautiful keepsake book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. Yeah, it's a special, it's a unique gift. And listen, like reading these weekly stories, it does it does connect you with your loved ones, right? It really does. It's kind of a beautiful bonding experience. So with StoryWorth, I am giving those I love a most thoughtful personal gift from the heart and preserving their memories and stories for years to come. Here's what you do, folks. Go to storyworth.com slash milkshake and save $10 on your first purchase. That's storyworth.com slash milkshake and save $10 on your first purchase. It's story worth it. Let's face it. Guys are hard to shop for. Whoever you're getting a gift for this season, you know, they're going to want something exciting, but practical. Here's an idea. This is the year to give him Harry's. There's no better gift than their limited edition holiday shave sets featuring their award-winning Winston handle plus handsome, and ready-to-gift packaging for an amazing unboxing moment. I know you love those unboxing videos, Reza. Oh yeah, I can't get enough of them. Harry's is the gift that keeps on giving. Their sharp and long-lasting blades are still as low as $2 each when it's finally time to replace them. True story. I got this uh, exact same holiday box for my uh, father-in-law, who, by the way, is probably listening to this, so I, I may have just ruined the Christmas <laughs> surprise. Dave, you're getting a Harry's holiday shave set box. I gave one to my son for his very first shaving kit. He loves it. And I'll tell you what, it's backed by a 100% quality guarantee. So if he doesn't love it, then you, you get the full refund. This holiday season, listeners can get $5 off plus free shipping on any Harry's limited edition holiday shave set when you go to harrys.com slash milkshake. The sets come with a weighted handle, three razor cartridges, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover. Everything he'll need for a smooth shave all packaged in a handsome holiday gift box. To claim your $5 off plus free shipping, go to harrys.com slash milkshake. 10 days after 9-11 terrorist attacks, around noon, a man walked in wearing a bandana, sunglasses, and a baseball cap holding a sort of double-barrel shotgun. He asked me, what are you from? And before I could say anything more than excuse me, he pulled the trigger from point blank range. Oh. I felt it first, like million bees were stinging my face and then heard the explosion. I couldn't believe he actually shot me. I looked onto the floor and saw blood pouring like an open faucet from the right side of my head. I placed both hands on my head, thinking I had to keep my brain from spilling out. Mm. I looked left and saw the gunman still standing there. And I thought if I did not appear to be dying, he would shoot me again. Oh, I fell to the floor and he finally left. I was shaking so badly, I could not dial 911. I ran to the barbershop next door and three men inside looked at me in horror, assuming the gunman was right behind me, tried to escape through the emergency door. Mm. And I grabbed one of them, begging him to call 911. And once it did, I caught myself in the mirror 
and I could not believe that was my face, like something straight out of a horror movie. Mm, that's just unimaginably brutal. I, I, I can't even quite take that in. And well, you know, the the good news is, of course, that you you survived the attack. But I mean, that was just sort of the beginning of this ordeal, right? You obviously didn't have any health insurance, so that was a problem. Uh, you couldn't go back to work. You couldn't drive because of all the injuries, you know, to your face, to your eyes. You didn't really know that many people in Dallas. So you were, yes. I guess, couch surfing for a while, you know, trying to find people who could give you a ride to your to your doctor's appointments. At one point, I, I understand you actually reached out to the 9-11 victims relief groups and they were like, no, you're not, you're not technically a 9-11 victim, but they, I think, gave you some groceries or something like that. Um, you even lost your, you even lost your fiance. Um, you had a fiance back in, in Bangladesh. And I, I guess the stress of this entire experience destroyed that relationship. So the most obvious damage is, you know, uh, physical, but there was so much more involved in it. I mean, I can't imagine sort of the, the depths of, of pain and depression that you, you must have fallen into after this. When my father heard what happened to me, he suffered a stroke, but thankfully survived. And wow. um, as a result of this shooting, I lost vision in one eye, and I still carry more than three dozen bullet fragments on my face and skull. Over the last few years, I underwent several surgeries and contend with various health issues. And and there is not a single day that goes by that I'm not reminded of or impacted by this painful tragedy, but I still continue to make peace with my pain. Yeah, and I think this is kind of where we wanted to get to in this conversation. I mean, we we had to sort of set spend, the scene. Yeah, we had yeah. to send, spend some time setting the scene, exactly, because I think until people understand sort of the enormity of of the crime committed against you and and as i said the depth of issues and and problems that and and heartaches that it left you with it's hard to really grasp um what happens next which is this road that you travel the the road to forgiveness tell us about that what at what point did this notion of even having the opportunity to forgive uh, this this criminal. How did that first come about? Well, he also killed another man from Pakistan on September 15th, and he shot me on September 21st and killed the Indian man, the Hindu man, on October the 4th. And after that, he was arrested and he was tried, convicted, and sentenced to death by lethal injection. So that's, that's, that's how they do it in Texas. Yeah. That's Texas. That's Texas, man. That's Texas justice. Well, they are, we, are, we are tough on crime. <laughs> you kill one of our children, next thing you find yourself in the death row. Yeah. That was one statement by Rick Perry uh, during uh, presidential election campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. So I wanted to move on with my life. I went back to school, working in restaurants, and um, with the help of many loving and caring, kind Americans, I was able to rebuild my life in my adopted country. And in 2009, I was very fortunate to go on a Muslim religious pilgrimage to Mecca. And it was in Mecca where I was, where I deeply realized that hate and revenge may bring temporary satisfaction. But it does not solve any, any issue. It does not bring peace or solution to any situation. It only brings more misery and disaster. And I kept thinking about my shooting incident. And I also thought about my shooter, Mark Stroman, who was on death row waiting to die. And I, and I fell for him, and I realized that his life was irrevocably changed due to this shooting incident, just as mine had. And I, I deeply felt by executing him, we would simply lose a human life without dealing with the root cause. Instead of hating him, I saw him as a victim. I saw him as a human being like me. And I, I truly believe that I suffered terribly. But I did not see any value in him suffering as well. And I felt if he was given a chance to live behind bars, even, even, even behind bars, uh, he might become a better human being and he could contribute to society in a positive way. So, but how did this, did this happen in Mecca, like in, in prayer and it suddenly happened? Or was it gradual over a couple of months as you considered him in prison? How does that transition 
go from him. Your life is ruined in every way. Even your dad has a stroke, for Christ's sake. And then, and you know, how do you take that journey? Was I was I was able to give a deep dive when I was in Mecca. I was there for almost like a month, and I prayed almost. 14 to 15 hours per day along with my mother. And it was very emotional in having my mother. We're in Mecca and she's rubbing the house of you know, God and rubbing my face where I still carry all those pellets. So it was very emotional and I had, a, I had the chance to give a deep dive about life and death, the purpose of life, why we are here. What is the purpose? Where do we go once we die? And um, what we are supposed to do in this world? And that gave me a, an opportunity to think about my shooting and my attacker. And I extremely felt empathized for my attacker. I saw myself in his shoe sitting in death row 23 hours per day for last nine years. He's already dead mentally, psychologically. He's just waiting there to die physically. And it was extremely painful for me to picture myself in his situation because we all make mistakes and we all ask for forgiveness and look for a second chance. What was going on in this, in, in his mind being locked up in death row for nine years? Is he looking for a second chance? Is he asking for forgiveness? Is there anyone to help him? So all these things came into my mind, and I realized that I forgave him to move on with my life, but it was not enough. So when I came back from Mecca as a changed human being, I wanted to do more to make a difference, not only in his and my life, but also in this world, so that people can take a new narrative to work for a world based on mutual respect, understanding, and, and dignity. And so, it helped me to go the extra mile. So, so you had this kind of spiritual experience of the heart in Mecca, where you realized that you forgive, you forgave him, and you had right. empathy and compassion for him. I wonder what his situation was like. I wonder what led him to commit those crimes. I wonder what it must feel like for him to be on death row. So he had this incredible compassion, right, uh, of empathy for, for the suffering of another person, even one who had caused you great harm. And, but then you're saying that that wasn't enough. You could have just left it at that, like, oh, I forgive the guy. Oh, he must be in bad shape. That's where most people would kind of like, well, first of all, most people wouldn't forgive. But I would have been like, okay, I can forgive him. I've got pellets in my face. But, you know, whatever he's on his journey, poor guy's on death row. Life must suck for him right now. Okay, so he what's kind of deserves breakfast? it. I mean, yeah, I mean, I forgive him, but yeah, motherfucker yeah. should be yeah. uh, experiencing some <laughs> level of discomfort uh, for for his crimes. And yeah, and so, but uh, let's move on. And I feel good, right? And that's it. But the amazing part of your story is that you that was not enough for you. That you wanted to go further. That you were like, I need to do something to help this dude. So, how does talk us through that transition? The highest form of forgiveness in Islam is you forgive and you try to mend. You try to, you know, get something good out of that. You also build a relationship. Forgiveness is not actually weakness. It's not that there be no justice. There be no, you know. Uh, hmm. You, you know, weren't uh, suggesting, oh, let him out of prison. You know, he needed to suffer no. the consequences socially for what he did. You just didn't want him put to death. You wanted him to be able to enjoy what life he had behind bars. Absolutely. And I was very much inspired. There's a verse in the Holy Quran, chapter 5, verse 32, where it says that uh, saving a human life is like saving the entire mankind. And taking a life is like taking the entire mankind. Of course, what he did was heinous crime. But by taking his life, we would not gain anything. But by giving him a chance, he might contribute to the free world in a positive way and inspire people like him who are still filled with hate, ignorance, and intolerance not end up being in this situation. So that was my, my goal and my, um, uh, my mission, that forgiveness has benefit. Forgiveness offers you know, beauty to everyone, not only just the victims and perpetrators, but the rest of the world can enjoy a great benefit from forgiveness. So what, what action did you take? Did you try and get in touch with him or... Contact the prison or? I did. After I came back from Mecca, I lobbied to save the life of my attacker. I reached out to Amnesty International. I worked with Reprieve. It's a London-based nonprofit. And I reached out to a human rights professor in Dallas, Texas, Dr. Rick Halperin, and my very good friend, Hadi Jawad, 
who is a 37 years uh, human rights activist in Dallas-Fort Worth area. So they all came together and we start an international campaign to take him off from death row. I went to the European Parliament, German Parliament, and at the headquarter of Lundbeck, the lethal injection manufacturer in Denmark, and was able to convince them to write a letter to the governor of Texas not to use their product to kill Mark Stroman and other human beings. And after our visit, Lundbeck also announced that it would stop supplying the drug to the U.S. prisons that carry out execution. I also went to the U.S. Supreme Court asking for clemency for Mark. And um, when he came to know our campaign's effort to, to save his life, I was told he was reduced to tears. This was not something he expected from a Muslim. He thanked the entire Muslim community, condemned his own acts of violence, and called me brother wow. before he was executed. Folks, between small talk at the company holiday party and enjoying all those holiday treats, your mouth does a lot this time of year. You know what I'm saying, Rain? That's what she said. I got something for you, Rain. It's called Quip. Quip? You mean like a joke? No. You silly willy. <laughs> Makers of the award-winning electric toothbrush, my friend. Do you know what is loved by 7 million mouths, Reza? Don't tell me it's Quip. The Quip Electric Toothbrush. Timed sonic vibrations with 30-second pulses to guide a dentist-recommended two-minute clean. Not to mention it's also lightweight, sleek design for adults and kids. No wires, no bulky charger to weigh you down. Beyond just the brush, Quip has a whole line of stocking stuffers for everyone on your list, including two ways to floss. Did you know there were two ways to floss, Rain? I had no idea. There's floss string that expands to clean. And there's a reusable floss pick which is what I prefer. And even more good news, Quip is running their best deals of the year, which means you won't be paying through the teeth when you gift better oral care this year. And I just want to say, I love their toothpaste. I, I didn't know that you could make like a really flavorful, interesting, delightful toothpaste, but they've done it. What flavor? Is it curry? I think it's like lamb stew. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Anyway, mm -hmm. if you go to get quip.com slash milkshake right now on top of their holiday savings you'll get your first refill free that's your first refill free and up to 40% off bundles all you got to do is go to getquip.com slash milkshake that's spelled g-e-t-q-u-i-p getquip.com slash milkshake quip the good habits company one skin is a longevity company that's led by a team of five PhDs who are developing solutions to prevent, slow down, and reverse aging. It's not a skincare company. It's a longevity company. Mm. OneSkin is fundamentally different from most skincare companies because they are founded and led by longevity scientists, not marketing experts. I actually spoke to one of these scientists. They take this stuff very seriously. I was like, what is this, like a face lotion? And they said, no, no. This is like healing and slowing down the reversing process of your skin. Skincare is healthcare. Comprehensive wellness should include our largest organ. That's what she said, skin. One Skin's priority is to keep your skin healthy in order to keep your body healthy. The outstanding beauty benefits are a consequence of a healthy skin. You've been using this stuff, right, right? I have been using it and it certainly hydrates and I... I used to look 55, and now I look 27. You do? I was going to say, you look younger. You definitely look oh, younger. Uh, I, I had every intention of using uh, OneSkin, but as soon as it arrived, my wife stole it and won't share it. So OneSkin people, if you're listening, please send me more. I would like to look as young <laughs> as my co-host. So how do you get your OneSkin product? If you're not famous podcasters like Rain and I, you go to oneskin.co, oneskin.co slash milkshake and use the code milkshake for 15% off your first purchase. Now, the code applies to one-time purchases and the first order of subscription purchases. So that's oneskin, O-N-E-S-K-I-N dot C-O dot co slash milkshake. Use the code milkshake. You get 15% off your first purchase. 
I guess, you know, what what Rain and I were really fascinated by in, in your story is, are there people who are more privy to forgiveness than others? Like, is it, are we all equally able to just sort of forgive these, these horrible things? Or does having a, a, a religious faith make it easier? I mean, where does the need for forgiveness actually come from? Is it, for you, did it come from your faith? I mean, obviously you said you had this experience in Mecca, so there was something there. But is it deeper than that? Is it separate from your faith? Is is it something that all people, regardless of of their faith background, uh, it's something that, that all people can do and, and that you expect from all people? I want to kind of dig into sort of what forgiveness actually means. Well, that's a very good question. Um, forgiveness is, is not the denial, uh, minimization, or justification of the crime that was done to you. Mm, yeah. Forgiveness is basically a decision that you make to drop the grudge, thoughts of violence and revenge, and you take the control of your happiness and freedom back to you, and which may open up an opportunity for your perpetrator to come back to you, to reconcile, to understand what went wrong and how it could have been prevented, and how can we move forward so that it doesn't happen again? Wow, this is this is amazing. I, I uh, it's fascinating. I have a couple of questions. One is, I, I please don't take this the wrong way. Is it easier to forgive someone who shoots you in the face than like a cousin who was mean to you when you were eleven? I know what you're trying to say. Do you? I do, because so many people I know, like people in my family, I have relatives who will who hold resentments at people for stuff they did in 1977. And know? it's also different when it's like a loved one or a family member or, and it feels, you know what I mean? A, a slight and a betrayal and insensitive. And it's so easy to hold on to that kind of resentment. And I wonder if, if you can kind of like be, oh, this guy chopped off my arm, but I will forgive him. But my, you know, my cousin who made fun of me behind my back uh, in, yeah, in, uh, I'm in still sixth pissed grade. at him. Fuck him. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean this is a, this is a, yeah, this is a very good question because you know uh, it is easy to forgive someone whom you didn't know, like a stranger. Mm-hmm. You were walking on the street, somebody came up to you and and said something very nasty on your face and uh, make fun of your outfit, make fun of your hairstyle, your you know uh, your religion, and you say, you know what, this guy didn't know me. You know what, it's, I just forgave him. It's easy, but it is extremely tough and painful, heartbreaking when it is your loved one mm. whom you loved so much, showed so much respect and took good care of. And then at some point, this person stabbed you in the heart and made fun of you, disrespected you. Yeah, it's a deeper and, uh, cut. And ruined your yeah. heart. Mm. It's a deeper cut, which I had, you know, when my fiance left me, when I needed her the most after being shot in the face. Right. And I was in that situation that... How could you leave me? You promised me ah. that you will be the last person in this world to leave me. And now I need you and you are gone. So it's almost easier to forgive your shooter than more. your fiance, your ex-fiance. It, it was. It, it was. But then again, as I said, that forgiveness is a process. You need to go through a process. You need to take time. I was extremely heartbroken. I was more insulted, more than the shooting when my heart was broken and I couldn't take it anymore. I felt like this was the end of the world. But then I I took time, I went through a process and I realized that she already moved on. She already left. There is nothing good will come out if I try to revive, I try to bring her back. It will only cause more pain and more suffering. Let her go, let her be happy. And I rebuild my life, find a purpose of my life and do good. That my mom taught me that you know, when people try to harm you, try to put you down, you do good and show them that you are better than that. Forgiveness is in every major faith tradition and in every minor faith tradition. It's in Hinduism and Buddhism. I'm a member of the Baha'i faith. It's very strong in the Baha'i faith. Christian, you know, turn the other cheek in Islam. 
but um, how how would someone who's an atheist how how might they approach forgiveness? Obviously, there is a, a you know a good sense and logic that there's health benefits to forgiveness, but kind of on a larger, more moral level, how would an atheist choose to uh, embrace forgiveness? You don't have to be a religious person to forgive someone or not to forgive someone. You have to convince yourself first, why are you doing it? In my case, it took almost nine years to come to that point that I not only forgive, I'm going to go and try to save his life from Texas death row. So it's a process. For the atheists, for the people who doesn't believe in God, they have to ask themselves that, why they want to forgive or not to forgive a person. It has nothing to do with faith. Yes, it, it is a benefit for the people who practice certain faith because it is in their scripture. It makes it easier for them. But at the end, it's a human quality and we need to understand why. Why am I forgiving mm. this person? The answer has to come from within. It should not be imposed on you yeah. or pressured by somebody else. It has to totally come from within yourself and it needs time. You need to go through process, and you need to think through it. Rays, we're going to wind things up as we do every week on this show with a lightning round of life's big questions. So uh, can you describe your soul in 10 words or less? Loving, kind, caring, forgiving, understanding, and accepting. What does... God look like? I will see him if I earn enough credit in this life <laughs> and if I go to heaven, the highest heaven, not any heaven, in the highest heaven, I might get a chance to see him and that day I will find out how he looks like because I was told not to imagine him in this life. In human form, it is beyond our comprehension to imagine God. But in the judgment day, if I earn enough credit score, Yep. I hope and pray I'll be able to well, see Well, make you. sure to text us. Yeah, please, yeah. Or, or we'll do another podcast, another episode, yeah. and we'll just, if you could be up there, we'll, we'll figure it out anyway, technology. Um, and finally, Rice, what is your life's big question? My life's big question is, I don't know where I will be going after I die. I don't know where I'll be going, but when the time comes to live the world, I would like to feel that I did my best to lead a peaceful, dignified, and um, help others the best I could. And I did my duty, the time, the resource, the energy, the wealth God gave me. I make the best use of all those, and now it's my time to go. But I don't know where am I going, and I'm scared because of that. Rise. Your story is one of the most beautiful and haunting that I've ever heard. Lots to think about, yeah. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, what a beautiful story. And I do think that you uh, are living in your life's purpose, a founding world without hate. The fact that you took this dreadful, painful, horrific act of brutality and have transformed it into healing and love and spreading your message around the world is uh it's absolutely extraordinary and has given us tons of food for thought thank you so much for your time well reza and rain thank you so much for spreading the word and hope our audience will do their best to make this world a better place for everyone thank you race thank you Wow, incredible story. So after hearing this selfless man, Raiz Buyan, has it changed your opinion at all around forgiveness, Reza? A, a little, yeah. I mean, I love I love the fact that it took him eight years to forgive. That that for, I don't know why, but it makes it realer to me. Right. Just like it took you like a lifetime to forgive yep. your mom. Mm -hmm. uh, I like the fact that he was adamant that forgiveness is not justice. That somehow makes me feel a little bit better. The like difference it makes me feel between like, the yeah, two, yeah. I could still tear you apart with my bare hands, but then forgive you afterwards. Sure. Um, and I like the I like the idea that uh, the forgiveness is, is not about the other person, that it's about you, right? Uh, that it's like, it's a thing you do for yourself, hmm, that hmm. it's not what you do for the other person. I, I think, so yeah, it, it has, it has okay. changed, changed me a little bit. Okay, yeah. good, good. Mm -hmm. 
Hey, Metaphysical Milkshake drinkers, sippers. Uh, as you know, uh, we love to have fans, guests with gigantic human interstellar questions on the show. And what we ask is this. If you go to Apple Podcasts and you leave a nice review, you can put your question right there and somehow or other we'll track you down, get in touch with you, bring you on the show. You can also write us on our socials, which is at metamilkpodcast.com podcast on Twitter. It's at Metaphysical Milkshake on Instagram. Or write me and Reza at our socials with your life's big question, and we will bring you on the show, bro. And we have brought on today someone named Sydney. Hi, Sydney. How are you? I'm good. Um, I'm so excited. Oh my God, Dwight, Rain, The Rocker. I don't even know. Wow, The Rocker. A rocker reference. She's really pulling stuff out there, isn't she? <laughs> but did you see me as NCSI as creepy guy in supermarket? No, I wish I would. I need to check that one out. One of your be- best performances. It really was. I also wanted to say I am going on my birthday on December 24th. I'm going to Chicago. And the only reason I decided to go to Chicago is because there's the office experience. I'm literally seen that show like 20 times. <laughs> they have the office experience. And then I'm going to go to Benihana after. I also bought myself two birthday cards to write me something on my birthday. They're both <laughs> office. Look at that. Office cards. Okay. And now we're starting to worry a little bit. Before I was yeah. like super fan. Now, now I'm a little. And then I got a ticket to Los Angeles and found Rain Wilson's address online. And I bought myself a letter opener uh, in the shape of a Moroccan scimitar. And I'm going to be waiting behind the oak tree at, near his Sydney, mailbox. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. Are you calling us from Rain's garage? I am in the middle of his garage right now. I'm looking at his car right now. Tell- Sydney. Thank you for all the fan love, but what is your life's big question? So if you could go back in time and maybe whisper some wise advice in your younger self's, younger self's ear, what would you say about getting into the entertainment industry? And like, what's, a, what's some good advice for your younger self when you were at that point in your career? I'll take a stab at that, you know. I once uh, moved to LA and uh, forgive me if I've told this story before, but it's a good one and it'll hold up on further scrutiny. I started writing a TV show when I first moved to LA, like every actor does, just in a notebook. And I was jotting down these ideas. And then I kind of looked at them. I'm like, oh, these are lame. And I just threw the notebook in the bottom of a box in the closet and, and left it at that. Then years later, we were moving, we moved houses and unpacking. And there was this notebook in the bottom of this dusty old box. And I uh, opened it and read through these ideas. And I was like, wow, you know, it's not great, but these are funny. There's some funny stuff here. Like, and I always would do that. I would always kind of short circuit myself. Like I'd try and write, I mean, oh, that's no good. I'd try and do something else. Oh, that's not good enough. And I guess what I would say to the younger me is like, and I think it's for any younger artist, like probably your capacity as an artist is much greater than you give yourself credit for. Meaning that you could probably act and write and maybe direct and maybe record a music album and drop a single on December 24th that we are our main worst enemies in the way that we hold ourselves back. And our capacity is probably much greater than we give ourselves credit for. After all, Reza, is it not the tiny acorn that eventually becomes the mighty oak? I've heard that to be the case. Reza, what about you? You know, you, you started, you're like a, a religious studies student and sociology student. And you're like, oh, I'm going to be a teacher and maybe do, and you wanted to be a writer. Maybe I'll do some writing about religion. And now you're podcaster, TV producer, production company, TV host, etc. The list goes on and on. What would you have said to yourself? I would probably say to myself, you don't need permission. Mm. Simple as that. I think like, you know, the entertainment industry seems so opaque. Like how the fuck? Like how do you, how? How do you even do it? Like do I need a agent or do I need, like what do I need? Um, You don't need anything. You just need talent and will and you don't need permission. Sydney, thank you so much. Thank you, Sydney. Good luck with everything. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. 
Why don't we head over to those beacons of nuance and open-heartedness and forgiveness? Mm -hmm. Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> so, listeners, write us and tell us what you think. Do you think forgiveness is always the solution? Have you struggled with it? Do you have any tips about forgiveness? Is there something that you could never forgive? Like, right. is, there, is there that one thing that you're like, nope, that's, that's where I draw the line. I could never forgive that. And you can find us at Reza Aslan and at Rain Wilson. We are on Twitter at MetaMilkPodcast. Thank you again to our guest today, Race Bouillon. Listeners, catch you next week. So long. Metaphysical Milkshake is executive produced by Rain Wilson, Reza Aslan, and Colin Thompson. It's produced by Safa Samizadeh Yazd, Harris Lane, Nick DeMaria, Hashem Self, and DJ Lubel. Cast Media is the production and distribution partner. It is edited by Tyler Newbold and audio mixed by Joshua Harris. Original music is composed by Jeff Tang. It was produced by Amy S. Choi and Rebecca Lehrer of the Mashup Americans. Associate producers are Jocelyn Gonzalez, Lindsay Cradowell, Sarah Pellegrini, Mary Phillips Sandy, and Shelby Sandlin. Oh, I just raise, I'm sorry, we're both big swearers, so we swear a lot. Which we'll, okay. <laughs> we, should, we should get like a cuss jar. Imagine what we could do with a cuss jar. So much for, from, so much for charity, yeah. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.